what does growth look like in an ideal world? How many patients, if we're talking about a medical practice, and that's how I'm going to sort of couch this conversation today. In a medical practice, how many patients do you hope to serve? What does success look like? And who are we relying upon to drive that success? What if growth over time is inequitable? <laughs> what if one partner is very skilled at developing a referral network and other partners, partner or partners, aren't? And one physician gets many, many, many new patients, and the others are sort of less productive, and maybe they capture some of the overflow from the busy physician, but in general, it's an inequitable growth trajectory. How is that going to be processed by the partnership? Does that mean compensation is equal? Or, you know, is there going to be some allowance for differences in productivity? Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 128 of APM Success. Hope your 2021 is getting off to a great start and that you're getting into the groove of your new routines. <laughs> Personally, I'm taking a month off from going to the gym so that uh, things can chill out a little bit over there. Nothing worse than that beginning of the year crush fountain of newfound optimism and routine <laughs> makes working out really crowded and annoying. Uh, I do love this time of year and the opportunity that it represents to think constructively about the future, about life, to express gratitude for the present. I hope that you're able to take an opportunity to do those things in your life this time of year. At my wealth management firm, APM Wealth, we are currently serving 40 client households. About 75% of those are physicians in anesthesiology and pain management. These households have made the decision they want to work with a personal household CFO, someone who can help evaluate their circumstances, help them define goals for themselves and their family, help them create a plan and move towards achieving their goals and implementing that plan. So I'm going to be adding probably 10 to 15 new clients this year. If anybody listening thinks that that might be a good fit or they have some questions and want to talk to an advisor who uniquely understands their career challenges, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me, justin at apmwealth, apm-wealth.com, and we can set up an intro conversation. APM-wealth. <laughs> One of the great frustrations of my professional career was not getting APM wealth. There was somebody who already claimed that domain, but I am checking on it periodically <laughs> on its availability. And one of these days, I expect to snap it up and add it to my collection of Google domains, which currently number about a dozen. Currently number about a dozen. I'm sure that I'm not the only compulsive domain collector out there. So you can email me and let me know that I'm not alone in that. One additional announcement before diving into today's topic. As a reminder, you can get CME from listening to and reflecting on the content of each episode of this podcast. Every episode has been updated with a link in the show notes. I'm working in 
partnership with CMFI, Dr. Brian Cohen's company. Talked to him back in December, episode 125. If you go to apmsuccess.com slash 125, you can hear that conversation. So if you need to capture some CME and you want to use listening to this podcast as an opportunity to do that, go to the show notes. So for this week, apmsuccess.com slash 128, and you can find the link right there at the top and start earning that CME. Now on to today's discussion. The topic for today pertains to partnership decision-making. Forming a partnership in a medical practice or in any other business is a, a critically important decision. It's really no exaggeration to say it's a decision of life-altering importance. So much of the substance of your days, your anxiety level, your income, your stress or lack thereof is going to be bound up in this decision. And if you decide to move forward into a partnership, you're going to be putting yourself in a foxhole with another person or group of people, and you're going to place your own vocational and economic destiny <laughs> in that person's hands. Your family's financial future, your professional reputation is going to be in your partner's hands. Reputation is one of those things that takes a lifetime to build and five minutes to ruin. If you're going to put that in someone else's hands, you really want to think carefully, is that person worthy of that trust? Most of what I've learned that I'm going to share today has come from three places. One is the school of, <laughs> the school of hard knocks in my own life. The second is the experience of clients and friends. And the third is this awesome book, which I've referenced on this show in the past called The Partnership Charter. If you're listening to this podcast and not on the YouTube channel, I'm holding it up right now. The Partnership Charter. Subtitle, How to Start Out Right with Your New Business Partnership or Fix the One You're In by David Gage. Gage, G-A-G-E. He is a partnership consultant. He has a company called BMC Associates, bmcassociates.com. He does partnership mediation and consulting. So this book has been an invaluable resource. The process which he prescribes in this book is one that I personally have gone through and have highly commended to other uh, friends and clients. So if you're interested in today's content, check this book out, The Partnership Charter, How to Start Out Right with Your New Business Partnership or Fix the One You're In. Today, I want to talk about four areas of important consideration if you're thinking about starting a company with another person or joining or launching a medical practice with just a few partners. And for a little bit of context, what I'm talking about today is partnerships of a small size where individual personalities in a partnership can have an outsized effect on culture and the way that a business or practice is run. I'm not talking about bigger physician-owned groups with many, in air quotes, partners, but effectively it's a, it's a bigger organization where a single voice doesn't unduly sway a culture or direction. These organizations are so large that you know the governance mechanisms in place tend to mitigate a lot of the risks I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about are small organizations where collaboration is necessary among a few individuals to make an organization succeed. Four main categories I want to talk about today, partnership vision, partnership operations, partnership finances, and partnership dissolution. All the things that have to do with unwinding a partnership that's not working, or that is going to experience a successful exit. First, let's talk about vision. Let's talk about why commonality of vision is a necessary starting point. When I'm talking about vision, what I really mean is 
understanding the life cycle of a business, the life cycle of a practice, how something will be launched, how it will be grown and matured, and what a potential exit may look like. And a lot of these things we're going to talk about today are going to be looking at hypothetical questions and specifically identifying and answering hypothetical questions with a partner or potential partner to ensure that partnership is a good fit. So in the early days, when you're launching a practice, establishing this vision with a prospective partner, what does growth look like in an ideal world? How many patients, if we're talking about a medical practice, and that's how I'm going to sort of couch this conversation today, in a medical practice, how many patients do you hope to serve? What does success look like? And who are we relying upon to drive that success? What if growth over time is inequitable? (laughs) What if one partner is very skilled at developing a referral network and other partners, partner or partners, aren't? And one physician gets many, many, many new patients and the others are sort of less productive and maybe they capture some of the overflow from the busy physician, but in general, it's an inequitable growth trajectory. How is that going to be processed by the partnership? Does that mean compensation is equal? Or, you know, is there going to be some allowance for differences in productivity? How big should a practice ultimately be as it grows over years? Are new partners going to be admitted? What if, you know, my partner's younger brother (laughs) becomes a physician and my partner wants to admit that physician into partnership. Is that something that I'm going to be open to? And what are the terms around which that new partner may be admitted? Thinking about the end game, the, in terms of vision, what is the uh, desired outcome in terms of the exit from this practice? Is this something we're going to, you know, be involved in for 15, 20, 30 years, and then ride off into the sunset and then have some kind of sale down the road or are strategic alliances along the way or perhaps rolling up or combining with other practices going to be considered on an ongoing basis. And I'll talk about that more in the dissolution section. But as you can see, I'm starting to peel back some of the layers. You know, it's it's great to say, oh, you know, so-and-so and I get along really well and we think that we would work well together. Once you get specific, once you identify some of these specific questions and you say, wow, yeah, I mean, if I'm bringing in all the patients and this person I thought was awesome, they're, they're not as aggressive in trying to grow a new practice that creates a lot of tension. And then you layer onto that the fact that this is your livelihood and you need to get paid and a partner who's dead weight is inhibiting your ability to get paid from your practice that creates relational and organizational complexity to say the least. The second category you want to evaluate in terms of looking at a potential partnership is operational mechanics. Specifically, how are we going to divide and conquer all of the tasks that need to be accomplished in starting or running a a medical practice? Now, some of the tasks, many of the tasks are going to be delegated to other employees and staff, but there are certain partner level tasks that need to be executed by a partner in the business and understanding who's going to do what and to the extent possible, making that uh, an equal division of labor, or at least fairly compensating whoever is doing those tasks is a really important part of this process. So some of the questions you might ask are, who's going to be in charge of staffing and HR? Who's going to be in charge of managing vendor relationships, reviewing billing and financials, and making sure that things look appropriate there? 
if there's a problem with technology, if we need to add and scale technology, if there's a software issue, you know, if there's an advisory team, a CPA, financial advisor, insurance advisor, legal, who's going to manage those relationships? There's, there's a million other little things. You know, when the fax machine breaks, who's gonna be the one that makes sure that it gets fixed? Ultimately, hopefully there's an office manager or an administrative person who can take that off your plate. But at the end of the day, there's someone who needs to oversee these parts of the practice. And agreeing with your prospective partner about who's going to do what or who's going to report to whom. You know, is there one managing partner and one clinical lead? How is this going to work? It's, it's really important to flesh that out in advance. And I can tell you that on this, in this area in particular, I was recently considering partnership in my business with a, a guy who is, was and is a, a very close friend. We're still good friends to this day, thankfully, in large part because of the partnership due diligence process that we went through with this book, The Partnership Charter. What we discovered as we were asking these questions and trying to say who's going to be responsible for what, and how can we equi equitably compensate the person responsible for each of these things, that there was too much overlap. Our personalities were very similar. Our desires for our role were very similar and it was duplicative and there wasn't enough complementarity. We didn't match each other's strengths and weaknesses favorably. And as a result, you know, we, <laughs> we were able to step back from this potential partnership really in like the ninth inning we had many documents drafted and had spent a lot of money evaluating if this was the right fit. But as a result of this operational analysis, who's going to do what, we were able to step back and we're both much happier for it. The third area, financial considerations. This is where the rubber meets the road. At the end of the day, you're starting a practice or running a practice or a business because you want and need to make money to provide for yourself and your family and to move towards financial independence. If a business is not doing that, it most likely is not fulfilling its intended purpose. So having singularity of purpose in this area in particular, and specifically around how is cash gonna be dispersed from the business? At what rate is it needed? At what rate is cash needed by the participating partners? How much do you need to be paid and how quickly? That's really what this is about. If you have partners who have spouses, for example, that also work and earn a good income, that means you have a lot of runway financially. Maybe you can go six, 12, 18 months without needing to pull a lot of cash flow out of the business. You can reinvest, you can hire staff, you can invest in infrastructure, build out space, You know, think about renting a surgery center or something like that and it gives you a lot of flexibility. But imagine the stress and the strain if you have a, you know, a corporate checking account and one partner has a spouse that earns a lot of money and they don't need to pull money out of the business, but the other partner thinks, oh man, if I have anything less than a $200,000 a year salary to start, then I, I can't make this work. That creates an immense amount of strain and one partner wants to get paid or needs to get paid. And the other is thinking, man, we need to grow the business first. We're actually putting the practice at risk if we empty out the company checking account in order for the one partner to pay their bills. So how do we think about timeline and financial need? As part of this process, I really do recommend that you have an honest financial conversation about your personal finances with a prospective partner. Because so much of your motivation and the timeline around the 
practice finances is going to be related to your personal finances. And you want to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that there's a level of honesty and transparency that will really solidify the solid foundation that you will be setting with your other partners. Obviously, everyone wants to make a couple million bucks a year <laughs> in a successful business, and that makes certain things easier. But in those beginning years, when there's resource scarcity, that's where these differences of opinion can really be exacerbated and cause issues. So make sure that you solve for that as part of the due diligence. So that was number three, finances. Number four, the fourth area you want to think about and kick the tires on with a prospective partner has to do with dissolution. And what I mean by that is, how are we going to exit this business, this practice? I alluded to this a little bit in the vision in terms of the life cycle, but specifically, there's a, there's a lot of different ways in which a practice may be either dissolved or have some sort of change in control or change in ownership. Some of them are good. Practice has been grown and successfully built over many years and we sell to a bigger practice or we bring in partners and do an internal succession plan or we attach to a hospital and as such we have some sort of economic event. That is a great thing and we all agree on that and it works. That's one thing, but what if there are bad circumstances in the practice that create you know, fracture among the partnership. How is the partnership going to be unwound in a way that is equitable? What if one of the partners is party to a lawsuit? What if there's a, a DUI or a felony or a sexual harassment lawsuit or judgment? What if it's sexual harassment with an employee in the practice? You know, number one, do you still want to be a partner with someone like that? Number two, what does that mean about the value of their stake? Should you be able to buy them out? Or, or what, how is that going to be handled? What if there's a divorce from one of the partners where the asset of the value of the medical practice is an important part of the divorce settlement? And now all of a sudden you're, you have a, you know, a, an ex-spouse, an angry ex-spouse who's, who wants to try to sink the ship. Like wh what does that mean? And, and how are you going to protect yourself and your business from those circumstances? Is it possible to agree in advance you know, here's what's going to happen and here's how we'll make this work for all parties in an equitable manner. What if there are irreconcilable differences? If the vision that two partners have change over time and one wants to really grow, grow, grow and bring on junior partners and scale up and the other thinks, you know what? I really only want it to stay small. I don't want to deal with HR issues. I don't want to deal with four different sites of service. I just want my office and my patients and I want to have a good and balanced life. If that develops over time, you know, how is that going to be handled by the, the parties in the partnership? These are things that can be identified and thought through in advance. And what you may find is that as you talk through these contingencies, as you do these live fire scenario analyses and looking at these four and many other areas that need to be considered, you're going to find areas of really increased commonality and you're going to be reaffirmed in your conviction. Yes, this person is a good fit. Let's do this thing. Or you're going to see maybe this partnership is not well advised. As you're going through this, you can think of it like your oral boards. <laughs> and hopefully this isn't going to make anyone, you know, shudder and have all these negative associations. But really what you're doing is you're saying, let's look at this. Here's your scenario. Here's your circumstance. Here's the facts of the case. You're in that situation. What would you do? And essentially with your prospective partner, in these four and other areas, you want to define as many different ones that you can think of, all the different ways that this could be stressful and 
C, do you have enough shared vision to be able to make this worth it? As part of this, you know, I mentioned use this book to guide this conversation. You can also create a document, not a legal document, but a, a charter document that essentially codifies these conversations and these different issues and your responses to them, which can be really helpful and constructive as you continue to work through these issues in the real world. As part of this process, you may also want to work with a facilitator, which is what I did, who's certified in the partnership vetting process. And I can tell you this, you know, I, I alluded to this earlier. It actually, this facilitation process kept me out of this partnership. I spent thousands of dollars on this process and it was great money because, you know, <laughs> trying to unwind a partnership is many, many multiples more expensive than staying out of one that is ill-advised to begin with. So in conclusion, you know, I, I want to tell a personal story. I think the idea of vetting in advance can be so helpful and constructive. And, you know, the comparison between partnership and marriage, I think is, it, it really is, it's just a good analogy. And one that I find myself frequently coming back to when giving advice about partnerships or potential partnerships. The mutual commitment in a business partnership is lesser, but really the interdependence <laughs> is similar. And the way that it can make your life awesome or terrible, the magnitude is, we're in the same range. So back in the summer of 2017, I was at the time a Philadelphian who had a long distance relationship with this woman from the Pacific Northwest and match day at OHSU. Her med school was a happy day for us. Three months later, in June of 2017, I flew out from Philly to Portland. We packed the U-Haul and we drove from coast to coast, during which time we talked. And we had been, Sarah and I had been dating for, you know, nine months at this point, but it was all long distance. We had probably spent only a few maybe a handful of weeks in the same space up to this point. And my now wife, Sarah, had committed this career decision to trying to match in Philadelphia. And we had this unique opportunity, <laughs> six days in the cab of a moving truck, to do just this, to talk about our relationship, to talk about the vision that we had for the future and the things that we wanted and didn't want and the things that were important to us. And what do you think about kids? What do you think about geography and family and money and prenups? And how do we stress test looking at what a life together would look like in as many ways as we reasonably can? And I can tell you that, you know, getting into that truck <laughs> on the West Coast and climbing out of it after traversing the PA Turnpike, I had, I, I think we both, we both had a lot more clarity on this is a really good fit. It's a really good thing. And whenever you commence a relationship, whether it's a partnership or a marriage, when you commence this type of relationship, knowing that you've really looked at it, you've really thought about it, you've really talked with your partner and you have evaluated all of the important things as much as you can think of. And then you step forward knowing that you can't know everything. You can't foresee every circumstance, but you can feel good knowing that you've done everything you possibly can, and then you're in that foxhole together, that gives you a certain confidence, a certain optimism. And frankly, it's just a wise way to proceed through life. So highly recommend anybody who's thinking about partnership. I want you to have that confidence. I want you to know that you have a firm foundation. And I want you to use some proven methods to be able to evaluate that. So check out the partnership charter and 
give this some thought. As always, thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully you found this constructive either for an imminent partnership decision or maybe this will be something you listen to down the line when you're thinking about joining a medical group. I look forward to speaking with you next week and hope everybody has a great 2022. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.